If you would, turn with me to the book of Esther and uh, turn to chapter 4. Before we look at Esther, though, uh, I just want you to keep in mind that parable that we heard earlier, uh, the parable that Jesus told of the master who had three servants who he gave some of his money to. The master went away, and when the master came back, he took account of everything he'd given to those three servants, and two of them had increased what they'd been given, and one had maintained, but he didn't lose what he'd been given. And remember that to two of those servants, he complimented them and he said, you have been wise and faithful and you have honored me. And to the one, the one who simply maintained, he said, well, he was angry and he was upset and he said, you're not my servant anymore. You have wasted what I've given you. Keep that in mind as we read the story of Esther because that's what we're going to look at today is straight smack dab in the middle of the book, chapter 4 is the uh, crescendo, I'd say, of the whole lesson of Esther's life, a lesson of faithfulness and wisdom to the Lord. Uh, Let's pray before we get started. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning and this opportunity to come together to open your word. I pray you would make it clear to us, and I pray, Lord, that we would learn how to be good and faithful servants from the example of Esther. In your name, amen. So in chapter 4, it's in the middle of the story. It's not a very long book, um, but I will just catch you up a little bit in case um, you don't know the story or you haven't read the last two weeks with us. Uh, But we're back in Persia. So um, before we did Revelation last week, um, we had done Nehemiah, right? And so Ezra and Nehemiah, those books take place after Daniel, who is in Persia. And then the uh, Persian king allows the Jews to go back home to Jerusalem, and many leave and go back. Uh, But there are still many Jews who stay in the kingdom of Persia. That's where they've grown up. That's where they live. That's where their jobs are, their families are, and they stay in Esther and Mordecai, um, who a very important person in this story, are Jews who live in Persia and who live near the capital city or in the capital city and who are very close to what's going on as far as the king of Persia. So the story opens, the book of Esther opens with King Xerxes. He's in charge of Persia right now. And he is in the middle of a six-month party that he's throwing to show just how amazingly powerful and strong he is because he's getting ready to invade the the, uh, empire of Greece, and he wants to take back a lot of the world that's been taken by the Greeks. Uh, And so he is proving just how powerful he is. And in the midst of this six-month party, he gets really drunk, and he feels like he really wants to make a statement of how powerful he is. So he decides to call... Um, for his queen to come and show his queen off, the most beautiful uh, lady in the land, to show it off to everybody. And the queen says, no, I will not come. Uh, Like I said, the king is drunk, and, and Persian law was that you wouldn't go parade yourself around in front of people. The women wouldn't do that. And so she was actually doing what she was supposed to do. Uh, and she said, no, I'm not going to come. So the king gets really upset, and all his advisors come to him and say, wow, if uh, this woman can come to you and, and basically say no and, not, and show you to be this weak king, um, we've got to get rid of her. We've got to get rid of her. So the king says, okay, well, she's out. So it's time to look for a new queen. So that's where we're introduced to Mordecai and Esther. Two Jews, Mordecai, who uh, uh, lives, like I said, in the capital city, and and his cousin, who he's actually raising, he's also her guardian, um, Esther. 
And uh, now what's interesting to note is that they're not really broadcasting the fact that they're Jews, and that's going to come up later. That's going to be important later. But uh, it's kind of not something that they want people to necessarily know. But the king puts out this call to all the eligible, beautiful ladies of the land to come and, 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 and to bring them to the palace so he can pick a new queen. And Esther is in this pool. So she goes, and if you know the story or if you read it, you know that eventually she is picked to be the queen. And when she meets with the king, he loves her above every other woman that was there, and he realizes that this needs to be my queen. So by the time we get to chapter 3, Esther has become the queen of Persia. Now, just so you know, it's not that great of a position. It's not like we think of kings and queens in the Western culture where queens had, you know, at least some power. Esther has some authority, but she really doesn't have that much power. And that's going to play, actually, a very big role when we get to chapter 4 and, and when we break that down. Um, but that's important to note, that she's not very powerful. She does have some authority, but she does have access to the king in a way that no one else really would. So, um, or not many people would. So then in chapter 3, right before we get to what we're going to look at today, we're introduced to another character, um, and this guy's name is Haman. And he is, the way he's introduced right off the bat is so that you know that he is, uh, from birth, an enemy of the Jewish people. He is one of the old peoples that God said when God had Moses and Joshua having the Israelites take over the land. He is one of those people that they were supposed to, they were, the nations that they were supposed to destroy. And you remember um, the Israelites didn't destroy everyone they were supposed to. They didn't destroy all the Amalekites and they didn't destroy all the Philistines and all the Canaanites. Well, this guy Haman is from um, one of those old families and he is an enemy of God's people. Like enemy number one. And to make it even worse, he is uh, the number two in the land. In Persia, there's the king and there's Haman. And so that's going to be a big deal because Haman realizes that Mordecai uh, is a Jew. And Mordecai doesn't give Haman the, uh, the respect that Haman thinks he deserves. And Mordecai won't bow to him when he passes by because... Uh, he is God's uh, sworn enemy, <laughs> and, and Mordecai is going to be faithful to the Lord, and he's going to honor God above this man. And so Haman's uh, plan is to destroy all the Jews, and he comes up with this really great way to do it. He goes to the king, and he says, King Xerxes, listen, there is this group of people in your empire, the Jews, and they are plotting against you. They don't look at you as the, uh, the king over everything. They worship someone else. They don't worship you. They don't respect you, and they probably will try to overthrow this kingdom. Now, Xerxes is like, well, we, first of all, we can't have that. That's probably not going to happen, but we certainly can't have dissension in the ranks. So they write this law, and they write a law. For a year from the night, this night that they're talking together, a year from this night, there is going to be a mass uh, murder of all the Jews. Anybody in the Persian Empire can get up and go kill anybody who they know is Jewish. And there will be no repercussions, and it'll be fine, and you're actually helping the kingdom of Persia. So Haman, at the end of chapter 3, is walking out of that meeting uh, excited, happy. His plan uh, to get rid of the Jews, and especially Mordecai, his uh, most hated enemy, uh, is going to be in full swing. 
And when we get into chapter 4, Mordecai has just learned um, what's going on. So that's where I want to start the story here. Uh, that, that's what's gone on before. But here in verse 1, it says this. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. And he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. So Mordecai, by the way, he works for the palace. He's, he's, uh, he has some uh, high, well, middle job uh, in the palace. And, uh, and so he learns of this news, and he can get into the palace. He's got some access to all that, which is nice for Esther, right, because they're family. Um, but when he learns of this, he puts on um, this, uh, this, these clothes of mourning, and you weren't allowed to go any further than the king's gates if you were in mourning this way. So he gets as far as he can into the palace, and then he has to stop. And in every province where the king's commanded decree arrived, there was a great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So basically, once everybody around Persia the Persian Empire heard what was going to happen to them if they were a Jew. Obviously, they were uh, deeply, deeply distressed. So in chapter, or verse 4, it says this, So Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. Maybe she hadn't heard, or maybe she just didn't understand everything that was going to be happening here. Maybe she hadn't thought about it. I don't know. Then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and take his sackcloth away from him. She wants to help her cousin, her guardian, her family. She wants to comfort him. But he would not accept them. He was in such distress. He was so worried, of course, of what was coming that he would not stop um, what he was doing. Then Esther called Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her, and gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in front of the king's gate. So now we're going to have this dialogue between Esther and Mordecai. Uh, although it's through a servant, so it's kind of like text messaging, I guess, back then. Uh, but they're going to have this conversation, and we're going to see. Um, uh, I think, even, even though this story, maybe we can't say, oh, I've been in an exact situation like that, I think we can actually relate to this story, because there is a very real problem that Mordecai is faced with, and Esther, although she doesn't quite know it yet, is faced with with real-life uh, real problems and real-life consequences that can happen in think you and I can relate to those things, right? We go through this life and, and we come into situations where there is real life consequences for what's going to happen. And we have choices to make. And that's what Esther is going to be faced with. So look at verse 7. And Mordecai told uh, the eunuch all that had happened to him and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. So basically he'd found out almost every detail about what was going to happen. And Haman had told the king, I'll pay you to kill the Jews. And the king said, yes. So he knows exactly everything that's going to be happening. And Mordecai also gave this eunuch a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given at Shushan, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her. So he's sending everything he has to Esther. And then right before he does this, he has this, uh, this, this idea. He realizes that maybe there's a chance that this could all be saved. And look, look what he says. When he, this is what he tells the eunuch to tell Esther that he might command Esther to go to the king to make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. So Hathak returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Now, can't we relate to that as well? When you're faced with a just an impossible situation where there, it looks like there's no way out, aren't you trying everything you can 
uh, to, to fix that situation? Aren't you trying everything you can to find an avenue in which to get out of that? And sometimes we find the one way that we can fix what's going on. Sometimes we find the one way that can help us get out of this impossible situation. Now that's Mordecai's perspective. Now look at Esther's perspective. Then Esther spoke to Hathak, this is verse 10, and gave him uh, a command for Mordecai. So she gets the text message and she's going to send her next one back out. Now, I'm going to break this down in a second, but we we do this. I do this. We can relate to exactly what Esther's saying here. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, then he gets to live. So hear how this conversation is going. Mordecai is in deep, deep mourning because his imminent destruction and the destruction of God's people in Persia, who God has been keeping alive for almost a generation uh, and, 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 and helping to thrive in these, uh, these foreign kingdoms, these people, it's it. They're done. The Jews are about to be destroyed. In one year, they are going to be destroyed. And then Mordecai remembers, wait a minute, Esther... My own family is in the palace, could possibly help us in this situation. And Esther hears all that, and we do this, right? When somebody comes to us with such an impossible choice and a hard decision, we look at them and we say, like, we do this. We have to explain how crazy they are, because they must not have understood how insane they they sounded. Right? Don't we do that? She says, Mordecai, he would know this. That's why she, but she's like spelling it out for him. She's like, let me spell this out for you. Just in case you forgot. All the king's servants, which Mordecai was, who worked in the palace and would know how this worked, and the people of the king's provinces, so basically everybody in Persia, know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court of the king and has not been called will die. Cousin, you're asking me to kill myself. You want me to die, is what you're saying, right? Let's just say it. You want me to die. And she doesn't just end there. Now, now there is a way to get past it, right? She says, she does, she concedes that, well, okay, if the king holds up his golden scepter and lets me live, then, then maybe it'd be okay. But then she adds something else really quickly to it. Then she says this, but, but listen, even if I did even consider doing that, the king hasn't called for me in 30 days. I haven't seen the king in a month. I'm the queen, the queen. Now, he had tons of different wives, but the queen, the one, the most special to him, hasn't even been seen in 30 days. He hasn't hasn't wanted to see her. So, Mordecai, what you're asking me is certain death. He probably doesn't even remember that I'm here. Don't we do that? Don't we rationalize those things? Don't we try to say, wait a minute, what you're asking me to do seems impossible. And then we try to say, here's why. Here's all the reasons why we couldn't do these things. Now, here's what it has to do with being faithful servants. Mordecai, who is a faithful Jew, who has been honoring God throughout his whole life and has taught Esther to do the same, and I believe Esther was doing the same, um, he realizes that there is a, a bigger thing going on here than just, you know, this is pretty big, but the murder of a nation, there is the enemies of God's people coming to try and wipe out 
God's people. There's so much more than just uh, this man who wants to kill all these Jews because they won't worship or because they won't respect him. It is the forces of evil coming against God's people. So he realizes that this whole situation uh, is really important to be faithful in. And here's how I know that. So now we go to the next section here in verse, uh, verse 13. Mordecai said this back to Esther. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. So he's saying, listen, this is how I would say it if I was him. Yeah, I know, Esther. I know what I'm asking is impossible. I know this situation is calling for you to make the hardest choice of your life, and I know it could possibly lead to your death. But just in case you're thinking that somehow if you stay silent that you'll escape anything that happens, don't be fooled. If you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. What he's saying there is, listen, there's so much more than just what we can see going on. There's so much more than just you possibly dying. There is the possibility that if you just stand pat and don't, uh, and, and don't act in a faithful way to God by helping to save his people, then there's the possibility that God will look at you just like he looked at that servant who did nothing with what he was given and cast him aside. It is so, God is so concerned with, our, with, with his servants being faithful to him that it is upsetting to him when they simply stand by and do nothing. And Mordecai is saying, Esther, that is what is on the line. It's not just these politics. It's not just the Persians against the Jews. It's not just Haman against the Jews. It is what are you doing to honor God and be faithful to him in your life? Esther's faced with an impossible choice. I mean, just put yourself in her shoes. You're the queen. You are in a position of power-ish. You have some authority, but really you're not, you know, you're definitely not higher than, than most other people. You could go see the king, but more than likely it results in your death. And yet your people in one year are going to be slaughtered. It's an impossible situation, an impossible choice. So what's she do? In verse 15, it says this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. So she sends her eunuchs and servants back out to the gates to tell him this. Go. Gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. Esther realizes she's faced with two choices. One, she can be faithful to her family and her people and God, or she can be fearful and remain silent. If she's faithful, she has to speak out. And if she's fearful, she, has, she will remain silent. I think um, something, that, something that Mordecai says to her 
probably really tugged at her spirit, you know, tugged at her heart. When I read this, um, I, I feel the same way. He said, and back in, in verse 14, he said this. After he said, if you remain completely silent uh, at this time, uh, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. After he said that, then he says this. And I think this is what really stuck with Esther. Because when I hear this, I think, you know what, that really sticks with me. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So within this, just this small little exchange, there's so much, uh, so much uh, application and teaching and theology going on here. It's amazing. It's amazing what's going on here. Mordecai is saying, he's like, listen, I know one thing. A, God is completely in control of everything going on here, Esther. Because he says, what's he say? he say? He says, I know if you don't do anything, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another place. I know God's going to save the people uh, his people, I know it's going to happen. But then he says, Esther, maybe you are in the place you are in because God wants to use you to be that salvation. Esther, did you ever consider the reason your life has gone the way it is, the reason you find yourself at this time where you are and who you are in this moment is so that you can be the salvation that God wants to bring for his people. You can be the faithful servant that God uses to change the destiny of the Jewish people. When I think of that, then I think, how could I ever be like that servant in the parable who just took the money and hid it and did nothing with it? How could I ever just remain silent, just stay put, just take what God has given and just keep it inside? How could I not act faithfully in every situation I'm given? Because maybe God's got me exactly where I need to be so that I can do what he wants done in that situation. Maybe God's got you exactly where you need to be because there's something you're supposed to do for him to affect change in someone's life. Maybe you're where you are for such a time as this, and God wants you to simply be faithful to him. Now, I say simply be faithful, but Esther's sitting there thinking, wait, this isn't a simple choice. I could die. But the alternative is so much worse, to be rejected by the Lord, to be looked at, and, and instead of him saying, well done, good and faithful servant, to say, depart from me, I never knew you, would be so much worse than her facing death. And I think when Mordecai said that, and she heard that, and she thought about that, and she let that sink in, and the Holy Spirit was working on her heart, I think she said, could then say, you know what, if I perish, I perish, because it is worth honoring the Lord in this situation, and doing what is really hard, doing what seems impossible, it is worth doing that to honor God than standing silent. So you know the rest of the story, or I'll tell you the rest of the story, is that Esther um, does go to the king. And we, when we read these, we read it real quick, right? So I'm assuming there was probably some very tense moments <laughs> when she's entering the kingdom, or entering the, the throne room, right? And she's walking up there, and she's waiting to see if he's going to lift up the scepter. He does lift up the scepter, and, and because he does love her, uh, and, and he, does, uh, he does care for her in his way, and she is important to him, and so he keeps her alive, and then she has two dinners with him, and in the second dinner, she reveals the plot of Haman, and um, they end up, um, you should read it, but they end up, they can't reverse the law. We know that from Daniel, right? They couldn't reverse the law. They had to throw him in the lion's den, 
But just as miraculous as what God did for Daniel, they end up um, figuring out a way to stop um, the destruction of the Jews. And one year later on that day, um, no, no Jews are killed. Um, and, and Mordecai is elevated to a higher position, and Esther, um, obviously she's the queen still, and things work out for them. And God is faithful to them, and God honored the faithfulness of his people. And it's amazing to think that Esther had no idea that all that good stuff that was going to happen was going to happen, and she still decided to be faithful. It's just like what Daniel did. He didn't know that God was going to stop the lions from eating him. He hoped. He trusted. But he wouldn't have known for sure. God didn't come to him before and say, Daniel, don't worry, I'm going to do that for you. But he trusted and God did it. And he was faithful and God was faithful to him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, way back when we talked about them in the fiery furnace, they, God didn't come to them and say, hey guys, don't stand up or uh, don't, don't bow down and worship that statue. Keep standing because no matter what happens, I, I'll keep you safe. I won't let the fire burn you. They didn't know that was going to happen. It was still worth it to them to be faithful to God in that situation. And God honored their faithfulness. God looked at them and said, well done, good and faithful servants. And so you have to ask yourself, what situation in your life is God waiting for you to be faithful in so he can say to you, well done, good and faithful servant? Where are you right now? What are you supposed to be doing? What is the time in your life that you are supposed to be faithful? As we end, as we close, um, I want you to think about a couple of things. Number one, life, it's the same then and it's the same now. Life requires us to make impossible decisions. We are faced with that. If you become a Christian, it doesn't change. If you are part of God's chosen people, it doesn't change. You are asked to make impossible choices, the hardest decisions you might ever have to make in your life. And you can choose to remain silent or you can choose to honor God. The second thing you need to know and that Mordecai tells us, and I think it's so interesting that the whole entire book of Esther tells us, is that God is in complete control of all things going on in your life. You're in those situations because God has brought you to those situations. It's not a secret. or It didn't just happen. It's not an accident. It's not random. He wasn't looking away for a second, and you got into something that, oh, now it's really hard to get out of. He's put you where you are for a reason, for a purpose. Esther's interesting because not one time does it mention the name of God. The only book in the Bible that does that. And yet... Um, through the first seven chapters at least I was going through and and, and even beyond those um, I was going through and trying to find out every situation that comes up where even though God's name's never mentioned the people of God know exactly who's in control and what they need to do and this is one of those times right because Esther says to Mordecai she says okay I'm going to do it but I'm not going to do it on my own power I'm not going to do it because I feel guilty I'm not going to do it because you've uh, inspired me to do it I'm going to do it because I know that God wants me to do this When she says, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Fast for three days. And I'm going to do the same thing. She was preparing her heart. She knew that she needed to be as close to God as she could be to do what he wanted her to do. Because we can only do these things. I mean, these are miracles, right? We can only do these things. Same is true for her as it is for us. When we are in the presence and power of God. We can't affect these changes on our own. Only God could do this. And Esther realizes that. 
Another thing we need to keep in mind, or this story should remind us to do, is to identify, I said this already, but identify the areas in your life right now, today, that require faithfulness to God. What is it in your life that you need to do to be faithful to God? And one other thing, and this is kind of obvious, and then it's simply to be faithful. Make that choice. Don't make it because you feel guilty. Don't make it because someone uh, uh, inspires you to do it. Make it because you know in your heart that God wants you to do it, and you know that God will help you to do it. That's, what I, that's one thing I, just, I love about God and how he works is he doesn't just ask us to do things on our own power. He asks us to do things in his power. And if you're doing it in his power, what could stop you? The Persian king couldn't stop uh, the Jew, uh, could, uh, would never be able to stop God from saving the Jews. And he didn't. And he kind of thought it was his own idea too, right? But God made sure that the Jews, I mean, every, every story of them in Persia or in Babylon or everything, it's just amazing how those people, the weakest of the weak, were able to be um, elevated time and time again because of God's power. And this is then one final thing I was thinking, and I thought about this near the end of my preparation time, and and uh, this is something I think is very is interesting. Um, ask yourself this question: When it comes to these choices in life and, and the opportunities to be faithful or not be faithful, do you need to be a Mordecai or do you need to be an Esther? Do you need to be the person in someone's life who is going to them and saying, "Listen, maybe you need to be faithful this way. Maybe you need to act." This way. Maybe God wants you to do this. Do you need to be encouraging others towards faithfulness? Or do you need to be the Esther who listens to someone, who has someone come to you and say, hey, God may be saying you should do this. And you need to receive that with humility and then really think, well, maybe that's something I need to do. Like, I think we could be either one. And I think in a lot of situations, call for us to be both Mordecai's and Esther's to each other. People who are willing to go to someone and say, God wants you to be faithful, and, here, and here's a situation, here's what you should be doing. Here's what you could be doing. And sometimes we need to be the one who can hear that, receive that, and then do it. So I want to just take it back to the parable that Jesus said in Matthew 25 when he gave out the talents and he came back, the master came back and he looked at his servants and he looked at the ones who had increased. He looked at the ones who had taken risks, who had been faced with impossible decisions, and who had been faithful and done the right thing and made the wise choices, and who had gained for the kingdom. And he looked at them and he said, well done, good and faithful servant. And then the one who was too afraid to be faithful, who would rather remain silent, who hid what he'd been given and kept it there, and instead of being wise and faithful, he was silent and fearful, and, God, and the master said to him, you have ruined what I've given you. It's not even worth it to me. To have lost would have been better than you just sitting there doing nothing, never being faithful, remaining silent, and living in fear. And he casts the one out, and he elevates the other two to higher positions, right? And he says, I'm giving you more because you have been so faithful with what you've been given. And that's the lesson in Esther. God is honored by our faithfulness and he wants to reward you for your faithfulness and in the midst of the impossible decisions and the hardest choices you have to make, if you choose faithfulness, God will honor that. 
Maybe he won't honor it right away in the same way he did with Esther and Mordecai. And, and we, we say that every time, right? Maybe he doesn't stop the lions one time. Maybe the king doesn't raise his scepter up one time. But these people were sure that it was more important to be faithful than to remain silent and fearful. And we should too. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the example of Esther, and I thank you that um, faithfulness doesn't rest on our own power. Faithfulness doesn't rest on us, but it rests in you. So, Father, I pray that every one of your servants here this morning um, would choose faithfulness in every situation. Father, I pray we can identify where we need to be faithful in our lives today, and we would simply be faithful. Father, no matter the consequences, no matter uh, what it looks like to others, Father, that we would honor you. And I thank you that we can be sure that you will honor that faithfulness. We thank you and we love you in your name. Amen.